Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you. We bless your name because of who you are and what you have done in and through your one and only Son who humbled himself, who became obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. And therefore, you have highly exalted him. You have given him a name which is above every name, that at his name, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of you, the Father. Oh, that rugged cross. Hallelujah. As we look into your word now, as to what you have planned for your people that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, may you give us eyes to see him. Give us hearts to love him. Give us knees to bow before him and hands and feet to obey him. May we see Jesus now in all of his grace and in all of his glory, and may your spirit have freedom to work in our hearts. So show us, Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. As you can see, if you look down front here at the communion table, we will conclude this gathering by partaking of communion together. And so if you neglected on your way in to grab a communion cup, please make your way out to our lobby right now. Go ahead and do that. Get up. Nobody's going to say anything. Nobody's going to think anything. Go ahead and prepare for that. And then if you would open your copies of the Scriptures this morning to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 Let me just say, what we're going to talk about today is of such eternal consequence that if you don't have a Bible with you, I pray and hope that you'll find a Bible near you, the church Bible there. If you're you're sitting in a regular pew in kind of the sections around the auditorium, you'll find that Bible in the hymnal rack of the pew in front of you. But if you're sitting in the front row of one of those sections, you'll find that Bible, that church Bible, in the uh, hymnal rack beneath you. It's page 1010 in your copy of the church Bible. And as you're finding your place there in Mark chapter 13, let me just say it is a special privilege and honor and blessing, and I do not take for granted the privilege I have every week of opening God's Word with you. Thank you for that privilege. I especially feel the gratitude this morning because I get to preach on one of my favorite topics, and that is the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming again. The last couple of weeks I've had to endure, and you've had to endure me preaching through, you know, the great tribulation that's coming, the wrath of God being poured out on the earth, you know, the destruction of the temple that occurred there in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. We've had to endure that, but this morning, listen, he endures to the end, we'll be what? He endures to the end, we'll be saved. This morning we get the good news, Jesus is coming again. And so that's, I love preaching that. And so thank you for that privilege. Thank you for that blessing. But every time I preach on the coming of Jesus, my excitement is tempered with frustration because I cannot, I cannot even begin to verbalize to you the joy that I feel because of what's coming. 
feel totally underqualified, totally incapable of presenting this text in Mark chapter 13 in such a way that you walk out of here saying, wow, I can't wait for Jesus to come. And so the Spirit of God is going to have to work in the people of God by taking the Word of God and pointing us to the Son of God. And I wonder if I, if I feel maybe just a little bit of what the Apostle John feels when, when he sees the unveiling of the end times in the book of Revelation. And when John sees this, you remember what his response is. He falls down at the angel who's unveiling all of this before him. He falls down at the feet of that angel and he begins to worship. And you remember what the angel says? The angel says, don't worship me, worship God. And that's my hope for you this morning. That you walk out of this place worshiping God because of what we hear and see from his word and in his word this morning. As we've been making our way through Mark's gospel, we've entitled this series of messages, verse by verse through Mark's gospel, Life on Purpose. It's what Jesus does for us. And what we're going to see this morning is is that purpose doesn't conclude with Jesus' death and resurrection and then his ascension to the Father in heaven. The purpose of God is being worked out in real human time and real human space with real human people like you and me into eternity. Your future has great purpose because of what we see in this text this morning. So let's read it beginning in verse 24 of Mark chapter 13 where Jesus says... In those days, after that tribulation that he's just spoken of in verses 14 through 23, in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect, his chosen ones, his redeemed ones from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So from the fig tree, guys, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near. The Son of Man, he's at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard and keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows at 3 a.m. or in the morning, unless he comes suddenly and find you asleep. So what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the word of our God for us this morning. Now, I want to begin by asking you a question. I've asked this question before, but I think this is a good question to ask at the beginning of a text like this. When it comes to a story or a book or a movie, how many of you love good and happy endings? Raise your hand. All right, so three-fourths of you. 
Now, I'm not sure what the other fourth of you want in an ending. Because I actually believe that God has built us to love happy endings, good endings. Endings where the good guy wins and the girl gets her guy and they live happily what? They live happily. Thank you. I see that you are obeying Jesus' words here to stay awake, okay? But you know, good and happy endings don't happen that often in our world. Let's just be open. Let's be honest. In our world, there are lots of sad endings. Just last week, we heard news of Sinead O'Connor's death. Now, I get that if you didn't grow up in the 80s like I did, that you won't know that she's an Irish pop singer. But on July 26th, at the age of 56, she died unexpectedly at her South London flat. A deeply broken woman who met an unhappy ending. And then in the past few weeks, I've heard from some of you that your employer is instituting a new round of layoffs for hundreds of people in your company. It's not going to be a good ending. For others of you, the unhappy endings have hit much closer to home. You've been, you've been betrayed by a friend. You've lost a spouse. You've suffered a miscarriage. A son or a daughter has walked away from your family and has not come back. And then, on top of all of that, we know that one day, each of us, if Jesus does not come back, we will take our final breath, and that will be the end of our earthly story. But texts like this in the Bible tell us that that is not the end of our eternal story. When you know Jesus, when you've trusted in Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, then the final chapter of your story isn't just a good ending, it's an out-of-this-world ending. And we know that because the end has already been written. We've read the back of the book and Jesus wins. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Lion of Judah, the Captain of our salvation, the Commander of angel armies. He's the one, he's the one who's on our side to be with us and for us forever. And that's why the big idea of this scene in Mark chapter 13 is that the return of Jesus changes everything. Everything. I mean everything. Because Jesus will return into a world. When you look at verses 14 through 23, you look at the world into which Jesus returns. It is a world racked with catastrophic chaos. And when he returns, he's going to drop that final curtain on the world as we know it. And he's going to bring the hammer of justice down. As author Ray Ortland has said, God has a day scheduled on the calendar when He will repay all the dirty deals and broken promises and backstabbings of history. All of them. And that day 
will be the beginning of the end for Satan and his kingdom of evil because Jesus will come and set up God's kingdom of righteousness and he will reign for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom and then all the way into the forever of a new heavens and a new earth because the return of Jesus changes everything. And Jesus' disciples, they need to know that. They've been asking questions in the first couple of verses of Mark 13. They've been asking questions about the end of the world. And Jesus has been answering those questions in a three-dimensional way. And so what Jesus prophesies here in this chapter has an immediate fulfillment during the disciples' lifetime with the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. And then there's an intermediate fulfillment during our days because we see some of these very same, same things happening in our day that will precede the coming of Jesus. But then there is also an ultimate fulfillment in a coming day. And now Jesus is going to unpack for his disciples what that coming day is going to look like when he returns to earth. And so he says to his disciples, they're gathered on the Mount of Olives, we call this, we refer to this as the Olivet Discourse. Jesus says, guys, after that time of unprecedented tribulation across all the earth, I'm coming back to earth and it's going to change everything on earth because I'm going to return powerfully, powerfully. It's going to be an earth-shattering, heaven-shaking kind of event. It's a we-will-we-will-rock-you kind of return. Because notice here, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven because the powers in heaven will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now, one of the big theological debates surrounding this passage of Scripture is this. Should we take Jesus' words here literally or figuratively? Does Jesus really mean that He's actually going to turn out the lights on the world as we know it? Or is this apocalyptic symbolism. Well, I may be wrong here, but I am going to teach you that I believe this text isn't an either-or text. It is a both-and text. It's both literal and figurative. You see, for people who've rejected Jesus, for people who haven't come to Jesus and placed their faith and trust in Jesus, it's going to be a very dark day, not just the kind of darkness that you could see, the kind of darkness you can feel because Jesus is coming in great power and glory and he's bringing his justice with him. It is going to be such a cataclysmic event that it isn't just going to affect humanity, it's going to change history by altering things universally. Genesis 1 verse 14 says that the sun and moon and stars aren't just cosmic objects just kind of floating in the sky. They're celestial markers by which we measure times and seasons. And so when Jesus comes again, it will be the beginning of the end for the universe as we know it. And for followers of Jesus, that is infinitely good news. 
Because ever since Adam's sin in the garden back in Genesis chapter 3, death has been woven into the fabric of this world's DNA. But when Jesus comes again, He will overthrow this kingdom of death and set up His kingdom of life. A kingdom that Hebrews 12 says is an unshakable and unbreakable kingdom. It's what Jesus will do powerfully as well as personally. He says, guys, the Son of Man is coming again. And guys, I know, you're my disciples. I know you know that terminology. I know you know that phrase, the Son of Man. Because Daniel used it back in Daniel chapter 7. But what you need to know is that Daniel was referring to me. I am the Son of Man. And so you'll know the end is beginning when you see me coming in clouds. Me. I'm coming back. Not my agent, not my attorney, because I'm not coming back symbolically or figuratively. I'm coming back physically and personally. Now, let's not just fly right by that phrase, because it's significant. It really matters. Because when the disciples were watching Jesus ascend to the Father, leaving this earth and going to the Father in heaven, there was an angel standing beside them who said to them in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, Men of Galilee, why you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, this Jesus who was taken up from you, into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This same Jesus. The personal Jesus, the deeply personal Jesus, will come back personally. Now, as we've made our way through Mark's gospel, let me ask, hasn't hasn't the personalness of Jesus, hasn't it surprised you? I mean, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the holy, sinless one, would reach out and touch the eyes of the blind and make them see. He would reach out and take the hand of Jairus' dead daughter and make her live. He would come to the tomb of his friend Lazarus And he would stand with his sisters, Mary and Martha, and weep with them. Do you see the deep personalness of Jesus' ministry? He, he, this same Jesus will come again. The all-powerful Jesus, yet deeply personal Jesus, will break open the heavens and return to earth publicly. This is no 007 covert undercover operation. This is Jesus taking center stage with nobody going to miss it. Because what Jesus says here is that they will see the Son of Man coming in all of his power, and in all of his glory. So the question we need to ask is, who's the they? Who's the they that will see Jesus coming? Well, 
I can tell you, based upon the scriptures, it's a universal they. It is everyone. Everyone in the world, without exception, is going to see Jesus return to this earth. They aren't going to hear about it on WGN Radio. They aren't going to see it on Fox News or CNN. They aren't going to read about it on Facebook. I know that will disappoint many people. And they aren't going to find out about it scrolling through Twitter or X, whatever it is now. Listen, Jesus is going to return with such mega power and glory that Revelation 1 verse 7 says, every eye will see him. Every eye. Everyone will know that this is Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, because when he comes again, he will come powerfully. He will come personally. He will come publicly. And if you like alliteration this morning, this is for you. All right. And he will come purposefully. There's a reason he's coming. He's coming for his people. He's coming with intentionality. He says, guys, I will come again and I will send out the angels to gather my elect, the ones I've chosen to be mine from eternity past, the ones I've redeemed, the ones I've saved. I will gather my elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth all the way to the ends of heaven. You know what that means? It's what Pastor Alistair Begg has said. It means that there won't be any empty seats in heaven. He will gather all of his elect from all places and all spaces in the entire universe. Nobody is going to be missing. Nobody who's trusted in Jesus is going to be forgotten or overlooked. Nobody is going to be left out and nobody's going to be left behind. And so for every one of his people, Jesus is going to repay all the dirty deals, all the broken promises and all the backstabbings. That close friend who did betray you, that boss who lied about you, that boyfriend or girlfriend that used you, Jesus will forever right all wrongs. Hitler will pay. Stalin and Hussein will too. Jesus will execute justice on behalf of every aborted baby and every sex trade victim. Jesus will take care of all the times we've been watching the evening news and we've said, I can't believe that person got off scot-free. Jesus is coming back for his people, to be with his people, and to personally right the wrongs suffered by his people when he rules and reigns on behalf of his people forever. That day is coming, friends. Hang on. Hold on. It's coming. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, the return of Jesus is not something to fear. It's something to long for. Don't get freaked out by it. Take comfort in it. Because Jesus says in Luke 21 verse 28, Lift up your eyes and look up. Now maybe that applies directly to you this morning. Maybe you come in this morning to this room weighed down by burdens that you are beginning to think are too heavy for you. There's no way. There's no way I can carry this anymore. It's too much for me. It's too great for me. It's too hard for me. 
This is too long. And Jesus' words to you are the same words he uttered to his disciples on that Mount of Olives on this day. Lift up your eyes and look up. Because your redemption draws nigh. You believe that. You trust the one who has said that. This is his promise. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it. But the return of Jesus is drawing nigh. Even here, right here in this room, with all of us at this very moment, it is in process of coming. Jesus is in process of coming. The plan is already in place. The execution is already occurring. So lift up your eyes and look up, for your redemption draws nigh. The promised return of Jesus for his people calls for a response from his people. Because as Jesus, notice here, as Jesus is wrapping up his teaching on the end times, I'd like to think, I can't prove this from the Scriptures, but I'd like to think there just happens to be a perfectly placed fig tree right there on the Mount of Olives that will serve as the perfect illustration for Jesus' application of what He's been teaching His disciples. And so He says to His guys, maybe He says, you know, you guys see that fig tree over there? You ready for a horticultural lesson? Because as soon As its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. And guys, that's just like my coming. When you see the signs that precede my coming, you'll know that I'm near, that I'm at the very gates. Now, we don't use that phraseology or that terminology at the very gates anymore in our culture, in our society. Instead, we say things like, you know, my fourth grader is struggling with fractions, but man, we're on the doorstep of a major breakthrough. And if you've had a fourth grader learning fractions, you long for that day, right? We're on the doorstep of a major breakthrough or, or something like this. As much as it pains me to say this, the Chicago Cubs are knocking at the door of a division title. Can you believe it? So we use those terms on the doorstep or knocking at the door, but in first century Israel, they would have said, listen, it's at the very gates because in every Jewish home, there was a fence surrounding that home, not a chain link or wooden fence, a stone fence, and the gate in that fence was considered to be the front door because it led into the courtyard and ultimately into the house. And so Jesus is saying, when you see the signs of my coming, you'll know that I'm on the doorstep that I'm knocking at the door. I'm right there. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I guess Jesus isn't coming back anytime soon because we don't see the signs that Jesus gives here. In verses 14 through 23, we don't see the abomination of desolation. We don't see the great time of tribulation. Be careful. Be careful. Because Jesus knows that we're tempted to think that his return is so far away that it isn't relevant today. And so he says to his guys, truly I say to you. You ever wonder why Jesus says that? Because everything he said was true. Right? Right? Did Jesus ever lie? Did Jesus ever just have to say, guys, you know, I really wasn't telling the truth back there. 
Jesus never had to say that. So why are there times when he says, and the old King James translates it this way, verily, verily, I say unto you. Why now in this ESV, why does it say, truly I say to you? Because it's important. It's really important. It's like when you as parents, you know, you're saying to your kids, look at me. Lock eyes with me. Pay attention, guys. I'm super serious here. Read my lips. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. You say, whoa, that's where I have a problem, Pastor Ken. Because this generation, these disciples that Jesus is speaking to here, this generation did die. And Jesus did not return. But listen, what if this generation... What if that phrase, this generation, refers not to the disciples' generation, but to the generation that's alive to see verses 14 through 27 come to pass? Excuse me, 24 through 27 come to pass. To see the sun darkening, to see the moon stop reflecting, to see the stars falling. What if it's this generation? Because I think that's what Jesus is saying It's this generation that will see all those final signs that Jesus is coming. And then Jesus says, just so you know, guys, even though you may think this is a long ways away, listen, heaven and earth will pass away. But I want you to know, my words will not pass away. I am coming. When I say I'm going to return, I will. It isn't just some random possibility or potentiality. It's a certain certainty. Even when you don't know the when. Because no one knows the day. No one knows the hour that I'm coming back. The angels in heaven don't know. Even I don't know. Only the Father knows. And so here's where Jesus begins to apply his return to his people. How does it affect us? What are the takeaways this morning? Here we go. Number one, be watchful. Be watchful. Keep your eyes peeled. In other words, stay awake. Now, if you're a parent, you're going to recognize the story that Jesus tells in verses 32 through 37. Because it's the same it's, it's where you live every time you leave your kids home alone. You gather, you gather them all together. At least this is what we do in our house. And we say, okay, we're leaving. We're not sure when we're coming back. But until we are back, you have stuff to do. Right, parents? You ever do that? You have tasks to complete, assignments. Get them done. And your kids say, well, when are you coming back? You know why they're asking, when you coming back? So that 10 minutes before you come back, they can do all the tasks that they've been waiting to do uh, before you came home. Well, you'll recognize this story then. It's a story about a man who goes on a journey. And before he leaves, he puts his servants in charge. He assigns each of them tasks to be completed prior to his return And the doorkeeper, the security guard, he gives him just one task. But it's the all-important task as a security guard. You've got to stay awake. 
Because you don't know when the master of the house is coming back. It may be in the evening. It may be at midnight. It may be when the rooster crows, kind of in 3 o'clock in the morning. It may be later in the morning. You don't know when. But one day the master will come back without warning, like a thief in the night, the Bible says. One day it's going to be ready or not, here I come. Listen, please. Jesus is returning, and that changes everything. This is not a game. This is eternity. I plead with you this morning, do not sleep on Jesus. Because there is coming a day when it will be too late to come in faith to Jesus. There's coming a day when the die will be cast and your fate will be sealed forever. There's coming a day when the door to heaven will slam shut and Jesus will say, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. You don't belong to my family. And it will be too late. And that's what scares me to death every Sunday I open God's Word to you. Because I know that some of you walk out of this room every Sunday. You're intrigued by Jesus. You're attracted to Jesus. You're enthralled with Jesus. But you have yet to bow the knee to Jesus. Not yet. You say it every week as you walk out of this room. Not yet, Jesus. Not yet. Someday, someday. Listen, someday there will no longer be a someday. And someday there will never be another not yet. Eternity is coming. And it's coming forever. It's coming at any moment. It could come before we partake of communion together this morning. Eternity is coming for you and me. So what will your eternity be? Hear Jesus calling in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Please, please, please. Don't keep on asking Jesus to speak to the hand. Not yet. Not yet. That's why the Bible, time and time again, pleads with its readers saying, today is the day of salvation. Listen, I would hate to say this. I would hate for anything like this to happen. But you could walk out of this church building this morning and get in your car and pull out onto Roselle and be hit head on by a drunk driver and you enter eternity immediately. We are not guaranteed another breath. Will you come to him? The one who opens his arms to you, will you open them to him? And will you come and will you say, I lay down my arms of rebellion and I come to you, Jesus, empty-handed, bringing nothing but my sin because I can contribute nothing to the forgiveness of my sin. It's always and only you, Jesus. Would you trade an eternity without Jesus for an eternity with Jesus, the one who on the cross traded places with you? If you will come to him, because 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says that God, for our sake, made Jesus, the one who knew no sin, to become sin for us. 
trading places. The sinless holy one with the sinful Ken Fields. So that why? When I place my faith and trust in him, I would be credited with the son of God's eternal righteousness. He dies in my place. I get his righteousness credited to my account. Is that you? There's only one reason any of us will ever be in heaven, and that's because it will be Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Are you trusting him? Have you come to him? Have you done what Romans 10 verse 9 says? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? Because then the Bible says you will be saved. Right here, right now. By grace alone, through faith alone, come to Jesus alone. Be forever done with the not yets and some days. Be ready for the return of Jesus. Stay awake and be watchful. And then you'll answer Jesus' call to be faithful. Be faithful. To complete the assignments the Master has given you. There's a job to do, a mission to fulfill, a race to run, and it's all practical stuff. It's street-level stuff like husbands, love your wife like Jesus. Wives, respect and honor your husband for the sake of Jesus. Parents, train your children to love Jesus. And when you're at work tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, you work hard because ultimately you're working for Jesus. And that's true for you teens. You're going to start school in a couple of weeks. Sorry to remind you. And in a couple of weeks, you're going to do your homework and take tests for Jesus. I know you're going to turn them into your teacher, but ultimately it's for Jesus because you love Jesus. And that's why you tell people about Jesus. Because you're overwhelmed by Him. You're enthralled with Him. It's what He's told us to do. And in all of that, He's not looking for results. You know, you may work your tail off, students, and you may be a C student. You may give your all at your job, and you may never climb the corporate ladder. You may share Jesus with family and friends, but they will never believe. Yet remember, when Jesus comes again, he's not going to ask you if you've been successful. He's going to ask if you've been faithful. Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And if we're going to be faithful, we're going to have to guard against a few things. A few things. If we're going to complete the work and the tasks and responsibilities God has given us while Jesus is away, there are some things that will distract us from being faithful. Things like an end times preoccupation. You know, there are people today who fritter their days away not doing what God has called them to do because they are distracted by every sign they see is a sign of Jesus coming. And they try to take that sign and then read back into the Bible. They turn every geopolitical event into a sign. From Israel coming back in 1948 to Russia invading Ukraine in 2022. From the volatility in today's stock market to every decision from the Supreme Court. But you know the emphasis here when Jesus teaches about the end times isn't when He's coming back. It's that He's coming back. 
So when he returns, he's not going to say, you read the signs so well. Well done, good and faithful prognosticator. He's going to say, you completed the tasks and assignments I've given you. Well done, good and faithful servant. So guard against an end times preoccupation and against a real world stagnation. Stagnation. There, there are people today who say, you know, there's really no point in caring about anything here in the real world because Jesus is coming back and it's all going to burn up anyway. No, we've got to guard against becoming overly attached to the things of this world. But there are responsibilities for us to fulfill in this world. But those people say, you know, is it, Jesus is coming back, it's all going to burn up, no big deal. And so they kind of just hunker in their bunker and they veg out until Jesus comes. They don't vote in elections. They don't save for retirement. They don't make their beds. Young people, that's for you, okay? They don't get that check engine light checked out. They pray Jesus comes back first. Because, hey, Jesus could come back at any moment. Yes, he can. But that's not an excuse for passivity. That's a call to activity. It's about fulfilling God's calling on our lives and accomplishing the tasks He's assigned to us. It's about living in anticipation of Jesus coming. You're faithful, you're watchful, and you're hopeful. For the people of Jesus, the return of Jesus changes everything. Every bad and sad ending will be transformed into an eternally good and happy ending. And that's why Titus chapter 2 says that we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It reminds me of a Christian song that was popular back in the dark ages of the 90s about how developmentally challenged children respond when they learn that Jesus is coming again. The song goes like this. Up in the hills somewhere in Kentucky in an old school way back in the nothing where special kids born with special needs are sent to learn life's ABCs. Their teacher, Mrs. Jones, tells them all about Jesus, how in the twinkling of an eye he's coming back to get us, about streets of gold and pearly gates, how they want to go, they just can't wait. But you can't keep them in their seats. They're all at the window straining to see. And his fingertips and noses pressed to the window panes. Longing eyes, expectant hearts for him to come again. All they know is that they love him so, and if he said he'd come, he's coming. That's why they can't keep those windows clean. It's always fingertips and noses. We live that way. I'm not saying that Jesus is calling us to go home today and load up our windows with fingertips and noses. But I am saying that Jesus is calling us to live expectantly. To be watching and waiting while we're working. Because we're anticipating Jesus, what Jesus promised in John 14, that he will come again and receive us unto himself, that where he is, we will be also. And one of the practical ways that we live in anticipation of Jesus coming back for us is by looking back at what he has already done for us, back to his death, back to his resurrection. And that's why we come to our Lord's table this morning. That's why we come to eat and drink 
together. We come to remember what He has done in anticipation of what He will do. That's why the great communion text in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, says that we are to remember His death because in remembering His death, we proclaim His death until He comes. So let's eat and drink together this morning. Let's anticipate as we remember. Because as Jesus says at the very end of this book, surely I am coming soon. To which we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Because when he comes, he's changing everything for every one of his people into an eternally happy ending. So be watchful. Be faithful. Be hopeful. Because Jesus is coming again. And he will reign forever and ever. Amen.